0: Hey, guys, Mark from the Strategic Student Ministry Network again. And uh, another session from our table conference. This one is from Eric Kitchen. It is the, a discussion, a talk on the balance of family and ministry and, and how all that comes together. And so uh, we were honored to hear it. And so here it is for you.
1: All right. So if, uh, if Tyler happens to shout out a random number, um, it might sound like a score of a football game, that will be true. So it, uh, we are hoping, praying for Oklahoma State to uh, be awesome. It'll take a miracle, <laughs> but uh, it, it's definitely more and more becoming a miracle. So um, again, my name is Eric Kitchen. and know some of you. I'm with New Life in Canal Winchester. Um, I grew up um, in Groveport um, years and years ago. Um, I'm not older than Keith, just for the record but I'm pretty sure I'm a pretty close second place. (laughs) So it's good to be with you guys. Um, Keith kind of asked for me to share a little bit of uh, my story. Um, I've been at New Life uh, for going on 24 years. I was part of the church plant team. I was one of the guys in college um, at Cedarville. And uh, very much thought that uh, I, I had the way that ministry was supposed to be done. I uh, was interviewing with churches, and uh, clearly they did not recognize my awesomeness and did not hire me. So, anybody ever experienced that? Just me. All right. So, um, my youth pastor, uh, met up with him at a youth ministry conference and asked him if he'd ever thought about planning a church, and uh, his uh, most uh, spiritual answer was no, and then he just walked away. He called me uh, just a couple days later and said, hey, are you serious? And I'm like, absolutely. Um, I'm totally in, let's do this. So we decided within a matter of weeks that this was something that God wanted us to do. Uh, he wanted us to plant a church in Canal Winchester. And so uh, we began to do that and launched in um, 1999. I hope, is everyone born? Nope, okay, wow, ow, wow. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going to sit down. Um, so as we, we launched um, the church um, at that time, uh, it was uh, what I would say was one of the the height of uh, the church growth movement. And we launched big, we launched exciting, and we were, what we would say, offering something significantly different than what every other church in Kanao and Chester was offering. Uh, we were hip, uh, we were cool. I mean, it's 1999, I know. But uh, we were um, the church that everybody wanted to go to in Canal Winchester. And people were leaving their churches, they were coming to ours. And um, about five years in, uh, we're in the midst of a building campaign, and we're recognized as one of the fastest growing churches in the U.S. About 500 people in, in less than five years, and just people just coming out of the woodwork in a little town of Canal Winchester. So as that began to happen, 2006, or I'm sorry, 2005, we moved into our first facility, a multi-million dollar facility. We quickly grew um, to 1,000. Um, I was working on plans of what it looked like um, for facilities, um, structures. I was made the executive pastor at that point, not the youth pastor anymore. And was looking at all of the things that we needed to do because uh, we were on a fast track to two or 3,000 within the next three years. That's where our church was heading and if you can imagine, um, maybe you've experienced it in that kind of church growth, that rapid church growth, you're just, you're just flying by the seat of your pants, trying to keep up with everything that's going on, trying to get ahead of it. Um, I spent um, most of my day reading um, on Lead, LeadNet, or Leadership Network, or different other uh, sources that were out there, what are the most innovative churches out there doing? And we would begin to implement some of those things just to try to keep up. Uh, with the amount of people that were coming. 2006, I'm going to try to fly through this. I'm going to try to get done in 15 minutes. Um, So in 2006, I get home from the hospital. Uh, My second daughter had just been born. We just brought her home Uh, that afternoon. I get a phone call that evening um, from our lead pastor, which was my youth pastor growing up, um, lifelong mentor of mine. He says, we need to meet, which was not normal. And I said, well, I just got home. He said, well, we need to meet tonight. I said, well, uh, no. <laughs> uh, I've got, I, we just got home from the hospital. And he said, no, it's, it's important. We need to meet tonight. You need to be there. At that point, you're realizing um, this is probably not going to be a fun meeting, and it's probably not going to be good news, and you're, you're just hoping it doesn't have to do with you. <laughs> and uh, so I went to this meeting, and was shocked, um, beyond shock, um, as um, my lead pastor, my youth pastor growing up, my lifelong mentor, began to describe um, how he had been um, having an affair. And I'm like, oh, no. What in the world um, am I going to do? What are we going to do? And almost as though it wasn't even real. So as that kind of just began to unfold, um, I was the executive pastor at this point, and everyone's looking to me <laughs> to figure out what do we do, how do we process this, um, how do we um, flesh out First um, Timothy 5 with public confession, does he need to resign, does he not need to resign, uh, what do we do for severance packages, who's the next person to lead, people are like, Eric, you're the next guy, um, you, you should lead this thing. And um, if you can imagine, I I would have been 32 at this point. And I'm still thinking about what what do we do? How do we get to 2,000 people? And to just kind of breeze through um, some of these pieces, um, God did something in me in that moment, uh, which by his own grace, um, I realized um, I'm not near mature enough. To lead this thing. I believe I can kind of get us through this part, but I'm not, I'm not the guy to be the lead pastor to take us, take this on and take, take us where we thought God was leading us. So as that kind of began um, to unfold, and if you can imagine, many, many things are happening. The church is kind of going crazy. We had very much bought the model, although we wouldn't have said it at the time. If you have um, a dynamic, Um, personal lead pastor, Um, if you have um, good music or worship and a good student or kids ministry, um, people will come to your church. Oh, yeah, and good marketing. This is what we did, and we were really, really good at it. And as God began to, um, what I would describe, I would say we as men built that church. God began to dismantle it. And paraphrasing, of James chapter 1, I read in, um, I think this was in the uh, Ortberg's book, Um, Life, Um, If You Always Wanted It. uh, It it talked about that at the end of perseverance comes maturity. And I knew at that point in my life, I wasn't near mature enough um, to lead this church. But I said, by God's grace, um, by persevering, one day I will be. And I'm the kind of person that if, if I set my mind to do something, um, I'm, I'm going to do it. So if it's going to take persevering to get there, um, then doggone it, I'm, I'm going to persevere. That's what I'm going to do. So as we got um, through um, the, this the phase of, of loss of just people that were shocked by this and wanted to leave, and at this point we were over 1,000, I don't even remember where, but about a couple hundred people left uh, right at the beginning and we, we kind of began to experience and understand we had people in leadership positions that should not have been. Theologically, um, some of them were out in left field. From a divisiveness standpoint, from a gossip standpoint, um, they're causing divisions uh, within the church um, at a great level. From just a Some of them may or may may have been believers. And these were all men, so I lost my youth pastor, and all of these other men that were leaders in our church, these were were men that I looked up to, uh, men that I admired, men that I counted on uh, to really uh, be there uh, for me and with me through all of this. So as God began to dismantle um, our church, he also, for me personally, began to dismantle everything that I ever counted on. He dismantled these men in our church. Um, I was a leadership book junkie. Um, I I could quote uh, the books. I could talk about the strategies. Uh, I lived by all of these leadership principles that were on my shelves. He began to dismantle all of those as well and really began a significant period of, of really feeling alone. And for most people, I think, in ministry, they oftentimes find their 30s where they begin to hit their stride. For me, my 30s were the darkest um, days of my life of trying to figure out who am I, what's life about, what's ministry about, who's God anyway. Because, again, um, I, I believe we as men built that church and God dismantled it. So as that all continued, there was this loss after loss after loss. I mean, we had, we had begun this church, we had um, invited people to church, and we captured people in this church really by providing a service for them. Uh, we, we were the we were, um, consumeristic church by far. Although, of course, we never would have admitted it because we were better than that. <laughs> So as people stopped providing these services uh, for people uh, to do different things, to be different things, and we began to look to God's word as to who is he, what does he want us to be, that became increasingly more and more unpopular. And people began to leave. For me, also in the midst of that, uh, my parents were leaders in our church. Um, They should not have been. Um, their character um, was a significant issue. Um, they were actually very divisive. Um, I would be in church meetings where um, people would quote someone that um, would, was talking bad about leadership that we shouldn't trust them. And I know they're quoting my parents. I would go to family um, dinners, and um, most of the time it, it, the discussion ended up being about church and how awful our church leaders were. Well, I'm like, well, hello, <laughs> that's me. And if, if there's a hierarchy in our church at this point, I'm at the top of that food chain. Um, I'm still, in essence, leading this thing, although not, not interested in being a lead pastor. So as God was dismantling it, uh, we came um, to the great conclusion, which we were um, relieved about. He wasn't dismantling us for the purpose of destroying us, which was good news. um, But it also meant we had to endure the dismantling and figure out what is he preserving us for? And that began a journey for us uh, to discover what, what does it even mean for a church to make disciples? although we would say we were making disciples because we would give somebody a book or a resource, we really had no idea what in the world that meant, and certainly for a church that was designed around the idea of that, just making disciples. So as that journey began and there was personal responsibility, um, there there just continued to be more loss. And for me, I I really define it as a decade of just loss, (laughs) And as we lost staff, as we lost people, uh, because in my own um, just skill set, gift set, I don't I don't think I'm great at anything, but I'm good at a lot of things. Lots of um, different tasks and responsibilities ended up on my desk, just over and over again, from um, small groups to um, leading the church to, we talked about earlier, where, where do we get toilet paper? I'm like, well, the janitor's closet. I'm like... <laughs> I would be in the middle of services and people would come to me, but like, this is, this is seems at a thousand people. Well, we need toilet paper. I'm like, well, go get it. Like, it's not that complicated. Um, you don't even need a key to unlock it. Like it's, it's right there. Go get the toilet paper. So for years, um, these responsibilities um, kept coming um, to my plate and um, it was um, incredibly, um, incredibly difficult so dealing with the criticism, dealing with um, God dismantling us and dealing with the fact that here I am, um, the pastor, although not a lead pastor, but leading the church. And I I can't uh, really come up with an actual plan of what it makes, what it looks like to make disciples for a church. I couldn't answer that question and had to uh, really just be honest with our church uh, much, much after that. So as um, we begin just to think about what, this idea of family and ministry, um, just to share a few things about what all of this and and 18,000 other things began to do to me. Um, I was exhausted. I mean, literally exhausted, not just tired. I was exhausted. I would wake up exhausted. Um, I would, in the middle of the day, be exhausted. And I would find myself just staring at the wall or at the screen and not even knowing why I'm even staring at it. Uh, People would come into my office and check on me, are you okay? Which of course the proper answer to are you okay is, yeah, I'm doing great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I found it hard to uh, think clearly. Um, I was really easily angry, um, especially at home. I had to to really keep this in check at the office (laughs) because that's the church, right? And they see me as pastor. But when I would get home, I, it wouldn't take anything to set me off. I just wanted to go home, sit on the couch, turn on the TV, and stare at it—not even watch it—and no one to bug me. Well, I had three kids and a wife <laughs> at that point, and they also needed me. And they—they—and we're not just talking about a year. This was—this was a decade <laughs> of my life. So I would snap at them uh, pretty frequently. That was just part of the way I was raised, so it was easy for me to do that. Um, I would have um, significant and uh, just regular tension in my chest, which I'd never had before. I'd never been a person that uh, worried about what other people thought, never really cared what other people thought. But here I am now dealing with um, anxiety in ways that I um, never thought that I would. Um, I didn't want to really do anything, didn't want to do anything fun. All of the activities that I was a part of, wasn't interested in. Um, At that point in my life, I gained significant weight, which I had never gained um, before. And I I just, I didn't want to just be alone. I I really wanted to be isolated. What I really wanted was just to go away and for no one to know where I was. And actually, and this might sound morbid, maybe you've been there, but um, I really, I really wanted for something bad to happen, just so I'd have to be in the hospital for like six months, just so I could get a break. I mean, that's where I was. And all the while, I'm still leading this thing, still trying to figure out um, what is it that God's doing in us, and holding on to this idea that I'm I'm going to persevere. I'm going to persevere. I had biblical ideas uh, on some level that um, God desires for us um, to be poured out like a drink offering. Um, I very much, and I still believe that my life is to be poured out uh, for other people. Um, I also um, believed this idea that I deserve whatever crap that I get um, because of the way that I led early in my ministry. So anything bad coming my way, um, I deserved it. And I also believed I needed to be the source of my persevering. I need to be the source. So in 2014 and and 15, if we were to jump ahead out of a lot of the junk, um, our our church at that point, I think was on a good path. We were really um, discovering uh, what it meant um, to actually uh, make disciples. We'd hired a new teaching pastor uh, for us. We changed our structure in the midst of that. So we don't have a leader or a, or a senior pastor. Uh, We just serve as an elder team. And um, when he came on, I said, look, um, I'm gonna take a sabbatical in about a year, which we never done sabbaticals. Like no one even heard that term in our church before. And uh, I said, yeah, I'm gonna take a break in about a year after you've been here once you get on your feet. And they all thought I was joking. And about a year later, I said, look, I said, here's the reality to our elder team. I said, I think we've got a really small window where we can be proactive um, about how I'm doing. If we don't, uh, we're going to be reactive and deal with the mess of what happens um, when I just lose it. And um, by the grace of God and uh, just the wisdom of my friends, um, the elder team, um, we put together a plan for what it looked like to um, take a sabbatical. So that was 2016. It was my first sabbatical. Um, that was after 17 years of ministry. Uh, that was um, after about a decade of um, just incredibly awful things um, happening um, in my life and in our church's life. And I remember the, um, the first two weeks of my sabbatical. Because my wife, um, she kind of expected, okay, day, day one, maybe day two— once he doesn't have all these responsibilities anymore, he's going to be back to normal. but it it took me two weeks, really, just to sit there and decompress. I mean, it literally took me two weeks where I, I would just sit there and and either stare at the fireplace or just stare um, off my deck. and i just I just didn't have anything um, to give. Um, I didn't have um, any um effort to put together uh the, the into in emotion at least this this positive plan that i want to do my sabbatical just for two weeks sat there and just stared um into into nothing which caused more friction with my wife and I at that point but um but she's a gift from God and uh she she was patient um so during um, the rest of my sabbatical, I, I began to, to read um, this book um, called Leading on Empty by Wayne Cordero, where he walks through um, his own um, story of burnout, which I'm not paying attention to time. Does anyone know where I'm at? I should. Uh, okay. All right. Um, and um, as I began to, to read this book, I'm like, oh, Wow. Those things define me. I'm wrestling with the same kinds of things that he's uh wrestling with. And for me, I've always been an incredibly um self-sustaining type person. I do my own stuff. Um, I push hard, I push through, and I realize at this point that um, I'm I'm much more of a mess than I, I would have thought. Because before my sabbatical, I would have said, no, I'm not burnt out, but I think I'm close. About week three or four of my sabbatical, I'm like, "Oh crap, um, I'm I'm burnt out and uh, about to be completely burnt out." I began to realize just how bad um, it was um, for me. And uh, one of the questions that um, it asks in in this book it's, uh, "What do you fear the most?" And of course, we all got you know our, our 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 good biblical answers to that. And but to really begin to wrestle with what do I fear the most. And for me, it was being a failure, a personal failure. For, for our church to um, completely close its doors, that, that would have been, at that point for me, uh, what I feared the most. And that would be my fault. It asked questions like, what are your top five priorities? And to honestly answer, what are those? How you spend your time, how you invest your time. What would you really, what's really number one in your life? And coming to the conclusion that serving other people was the number one thing in my life, whereas before that probably would have been a badge of honor, I began to realize that's not good. It's not good. It's not healthy. And then it asked the question, what do you do for fun? I sat there for three days trying to answer this question, what do I do for fun? I couldn't answer the question. And again, I realized I was much more of a mess than I'd originally thought. So here's, here's what I want you to do. And there, there's good news. So I want you to you're take 15 minutes um, or so at your tables. I've got some questions for you guys to discuss. And then I want to bring it back together. I want to share a little bit of the rest of the story. Um, so I'm going to hit pause on it for now. And I want to debrief a little bit about what you guys talk about at your tables. Is that all right? That was your opportunity to say, yes. All right. So don't worry. I'm not still like in the the, the decade of loss. There's a good place um, that's coming. Um, So the questions I want um, you guys to tackle. Uh, What part of the story do you most identify with? Um, Share the details of how and when. And and by the way, in 15 minutes, you might not get to all these. That's fine. Um, What do you fear the most? If you're honest, what are your top five priorities in order? Like, actually think about it. What, How you spend your time, how you invest. What warning signs of burnout have you seen in your own life and ministry? And this last one, um, how have you seen or experienced this statement in your personal ministry? Wayne Cordero says, we don't uh, forget that we're Christians. We forget that we're humans. And that one oversight alone can debilitate uh, the potential of our future. So, Fifteen minutes, talk about the table.
0: Well, we hope you enjoyed this session from the table conference. It's our yearly gathering uh, where we just get around the table and we want to um, network with each other and encourage each other, uh, hear each other's uh, burdens and and joys, and uh, just celebrate ministry and celebrate what God's doing in each and every one of our churches uh, through student ministry. Uh, if there's any information that you need from us, you can reach out to us on our Facebook page, uh, the Strategic Student Ministry uh, Facebook page, and you can find us there. And of course, we also always encourage you to, uh, if, you, if you like this podcast, uh, to like it, share it, comment, uh, help us out, get the word out. And we really appreciate it. You guys have a great day and we'll see you soon.